You are listening to The Influencer Podcast, episode number 31. Before we dive in, I want to give my warm appreciation to our reviewer of the week, Denise. And she says, to say I love this podcast is an understatement. This is a podcast for everyone. Even if you don't agree with every strategy, it is impossible not to walk away with many gems after listening. It's fresh, honest, and incredibly helpful. I'm so glad I came across this, and I cannot wait to hear what Julie has in store for us. Thank you so much, Denise. I would agree with you, and I'm so glad that you left your review and left your insights on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. So I want to hear from you guys. Everyone that listens in each week, make sure to subscribe to the Influencer Podcast on iTunes and give a review so I can highlight your review in an upcoming episode. Make sure to screenshot this episode on your phone and go ahead and tag me on your Instagram story at Joel Solomon, hashtag the influencer podcast to let me know that you are joining in today. As you know that I will take your screenshot and share it on my story too. Last week, Samantha Gutstadt drove home to us the importance of creating and sharing our story and how we can use our story to grow a loyal community. This week, Forbes Magazine's Tom Ward tells us how to cut through the noise and build an influence that is worth a brand's investment. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. Each week, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist and New York Times bestselling publicist, takes you behind the scenes with successful influencers, bloggers, and industry elites in conversation to share how they engage, persuade, and grow their unique influence. Her mission is to share exclusive insider tips, wisdom, and action-based tools to help you strengthen, monetize, and build your own industry-leading influence. Hi, influencers, and welcome to this week's episode. Today, we are talking to the awesome Tom Ward. Tom is a leading brand consultant specializing in helping influencers grow their platform and a digital media influencer marketing writer for Forbes and Social Media Today. He's a New Jersey native living in LA with his wife and toddler and works to help others create their brand, build their audiences, and expand their networks and form long-lasting brand partnerships. This guy knows the influencer space in and out, and more importantly, he knows how to turn an influencer's dream into a thriving long-term business better than almost anyone. So I totally geek out on him. We have amazing conversations. He has amazing content that he shares, not only on his blog at TomWard.com, but as well in his amazing articles found in Forbes magazine. And of course, naturally, we met on Twitter. So now we are here. So Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited that you're here. Of course. Thank you for that great intro. I have to live up to those high expectations. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, let's just go ahead and dive in. I, I want you to kind of share a little bit of your background, but I also want to know specifically within that, how your background led you to working with influencers and how do you specifically work with influencers to help them form those strong partnerships that they desperately need? How much time do you have? <laughs> because I know, just in a really short-winded, yeah, right? In a really short-winded answer, there was really no career path, and I don't even know how I ended up here with influencers. I mean, I'm 39 years old, so I didn't grow up with YouTube. I didn't even grow up with the internet. Um, and then my career after college kind of just started with various sales jobs. And then I was stuck in my 30s and you know, was making good income, providing you know, good living for my family. Everybody's happy except for me. I'm just like I'm selling equipment that I don't really care about. It's a good gig. But, you know, if I don't make a change now, I'm stuck. 
So I read a book, and I'll give her a shout out to Dory Clark. Um, it's called Reinventing You. And she's one of these thought leaders, Harvard Business School kind of people. And her whole thing is you could change your career and you could change your narrative at any time, but you need evidence. So like I could say, hey, I'm a hip hop music critic. Cool, but Julie Solomon's not going to buy that unless, you know, I'm in the source, I'm in MTV, you know, talking about hip hop, those kind of things. So I started writing. That's one of her big things about getting evidence is writing. And I started writing and writing. And then somebody from Forbes, you know, got a hold of me or saw some of my writing and said, hey, do you want to write for us? And that I never wrote I, in college. I bought papers. I didn't even write my papers. I wasn't a lit major or anything like that. So this is like my first gig writing. And then I just fell in love with the influencers because I'm an entrepreneur at heart and really like the space. And I think, you know, I thought and still think that's the future of advertising. So um, I just kind of hopped in with both feet. That's awesome. And I love what you said about the evidence, because I always say that I'm an expert simply because I say that I am, you know, there's no expert police out there managing my, my level of expertise, but I also have the evidence and the experience to back that up. So I think that when it comes to a lot of influencers, it's being able to get really clear on what that evidence is. So I would love to dive in to that a little bit more in just a little bit. Um, but first off, as we know, because you just talked about Forbes, I want to talk about pitching and media a little bit with you. Um, I would love to know again, how much time do I have? But um, in, a, in a really concise way, I would love to know just from you, your opinion, your, your background, how should an influencer approach a writer or an editor like yourself if they're wanting to be covered in a magazine like Forbes, are there any quick tips to share on what they should do or what they absolutely should not do? It's tough because for Forbes, I'm a little different. So I only cover the big fish, right? Right. Because that's my business model, right? I need views and the little micro influencer is not going to give me eyeballs. Right. But the big, we'll talk later, can just blow up an article real quick. So I'm a little different. So the people who reach out to me are the small quote unquote influencers, if you can even call them that, they're kind of the wannabe influencers, mm-hmm. wannabe influencers, if that's mm-hmm. even a word. Yep. So that's a little different because the ones that reach out and same thing when they're pitching, um, a lot of PR people will pitch their company's product and it's, you know, usually it's always one I've never heard of. And 99% of the time, it's not one I'm interested in writing it. So I'm a little different. I think the best way to pitch if you're an influencer or something is maybe start small not to go to Forbes first if you don't have a million followers because right. probably people aren't going to pick up the phone. But you, maybe you reach out to some of these industry blogs. Maybe you read out, reach out to social media today that I write for that kind of has a smaller, more inside track that might be interested in what you have to say. So what I hear you saying is first, know who you're pitching. You know, like know you, know your work, know what you write about. Because if you're someone who writes about these massive influencers, then you're not going to be the right person for me to even pitch anyway. And second, start small. Um, and I always, I relate that always back because my background is, is book publicity. And I always relate that back to, you know, the first time author who's like, okay, let's get on Good Morning America. And I'm like, okay, you haven't even been on KTLA yet. You know, like, let's yep. like back it up. Let's, let's build it up a little bit. But there's you a lot of public access. Yet. Exactly. You know, but there's, there's a lot of growth and there's a lot of evidence to be created within those smaller spaces. So I love, you know, you can hone in on your pitching, on your writing by doing that with the smaller scale. Um, what if a smaller influencer came to you, but with an idea of a bigger story and being part of a bigger story? And if they could pull in other big names, would that be something that would... Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Cool. Sure. I mean, if, if somebody pitched me, and it's funny, you influencers out there uh, pitch me. My Twitter's at MottDraw. It's my name backwards, M-O-T-D-R-A-W-1 uh, on Twitter. But, yeah, if a micro-influencer pitched me, that's a great idea for an article about, hey, I'm a micro-influencer, and this is how we're working with big brands. This is kind of the trend we're seeing. We're cheaper. We're more effective. We have better engagement than the big macro-influencers. Uh, Absolutely, I'd pick up the phone and, and talk to them about something like that. See, so there you go. There's a pitch idea. Done and done. Um, okay, so when it does come to emails, what makes you want to delete an email? It's tough because email ones, I think I've only, and I, I get, and I'm not that big. I'm not some huge you know, writer or anything like that. I have a decent following, but I've only, I've only written about one pitch that I've received via email. Really? They're all horrible. They're all terrible. Mm. They're all terrible. How many do you get a day? I, I probably get a dozen. Oh, Again, I'm not, that, I'm not that big, but most of them go something like this. It's, it's a stock email. So it's just, dear Tom is the only thing that changes from my email to Julie's email. Right. It's just, dear Julie, yep. dear Tom. And it's, and it's just a press release, right? It's, uh, we came up with a new fertilizer and it's growing grass like you've never seen before. And, you know, major league baseball athlete, this guy is pitching it and you should interview him. And I'm like, I don't even know who the athlete is. I don't even watch baseball and I don't care about growing grass. Right. So that, that, that makes me want to delete it. Yeah. Okay. So, so really what, what makes it stand out is making sense for your beat, making sense for your for your, and then really kind of knowing who you're pitching, because you may also, as a contributor, you know, you probably bring in ideas, but then you also may be asked to cover something by an editor, you know, like, Hey, we have this great idea. If you can pull together, um, what is important or how important I should say is the subject line of an email or the subject line of a blog post or the subject line of an article? How important is that in attracting and captivating the interest? I can speak, let me speak first to the article. The headline is by far, by far the most important part of an article. I'd say, I'd say the headline and then the close second is the picture mm. for a blog. Because that's what you see, right? In your Twitter feed, you see a title and you see a picture. Mm-hmm. Probably on social media, the picture may even be more important. Right. But what, that, that above the fold kind of thing. You got it. Yeah. yeah. And then because somebody told me once, if they don't read the headline, they're not going to read the article. Mm. That would, with an email, right? Yeah, that would probably be good to say about an email as well. Um, okay, so before we wrap up and, and get on to something else, um, what would be, again, just your your opinion, what would be the best way for an influencer to initially find or connect or really what I should be saying is build a relationship with a writer out there or with a magazine or with a freelancer um, to really kind of cultivate the conversation that may eventually lead to some kind of coverage? I would say two things. I would say, like you said before, start small and find the right writer. So if you're writing, if you're an influencer in, I don't know, gardening, right? Find a gardening writer. Somebody, I don't even know, my mom used to get Home and Garden Magazine. I don't even know they make that anymore. But maybe you pitch an article to Home and Garden Magazine, you wouldn't pitch it to Business Insider. Right. But, right. Maybe maybe you pitch it to the biggest landscaping blogger out there and even start smaller. Right. Everybody wants content. Bloggers always, if you go to any bloggers page, they'll always say looking for contributors. Of course it's unpaid. <laughs> I'm not going to give you anything, but give me as much content as you can. Absolutely. So you'll be able to 
to get on there and then form those relationships. And a lot of those bloggers write for bigger publications. So that's a great way to kind of get in the system. Yeah. And then you can then start saying that you have been featured in X, Y, and Z, which is just another great, you know, plug on the press kit or plug to build up that evidence to adhere to that expertise. So my friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business for sponsoring the show. Okay, so on to challenges now. Um, we had chatted a little bit before um, about the challenges that you see influencers facing. And um, I loved what you said that you were talking about. Um, you know, it's really about getting those good brand deals and really, more importantly, building that partnership because we're really trying to get away away from the, the one and burn. And I know that you and I specifically love to talk about the idea of the tummy time teas and the gummy bear hair and just how kind of... Uh, you know, unproductive those kinds of deals are for influencers. So I would love for you to kind of go into a little bit more detail on that. Um, why do you think those kinds of deals and, you know, not to like, you know, throw shade at the tummy time tea companies, but why does that kind of format, why does that kind of campaign collaboration really destroy an influencer's brand and what should the influencer be doing instead? It's, it's a great question, and it's a tricky question, right? And not to bag on flat tummy tea, but that's that's the one. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm married. I've got a little kid, so we spend a lot of time at home at night, and we spend a lot of time watching trash reality TV. Right. And 99% of these, these reality TV stars go the same route, right? you got a little bit of fame. You're on The Bachelor. You're on whatever, Dancing with the Stars. you got to cash in quick, right? And the flat tummy teas of the world are there for you. So it's it's tough, but it will destroy your brand because they give a deal to anybody. Mm-hmm. You got a hundred thousand followers or more, and you're on, you know, Southern Charm or one of the Housewives franchises. You can get a flat tummy deal. You can get a, a sunglass deal that no one's heard about. That be sunglasses, right? You can get those kind of deals. But the problem is they give them to anybody. So you're in. You can also be thrown away easily, mm. right? Because there's always another girl on a reality TV show that they can sell flat tummy tea for you. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's tough. And the challenge for influences are, you know, once you get to a million plus followers, it's e- it's not, it's not easy. It's still tough to find those deals, but it's easier to find a Pepsi deal or a big long lasting partnership you can form. The problem is what do you do when you have a hundred thousand followers? You can't get a Pepsi deal. Right. No, one's really knocking on the door and you need to make money to create content. Right. The flat tummy tea's right there for you. 
I mean, I even see micro-influencers with 10,000 followers, 12,000 followers with the teeth whitening and the gummy bears and the flat tummy tees and the watches and just, you know, uh, saying yes to these just outrageous partnerships and, you know, these brands that are demanding that the influencers guarantee a certain amount of conversion rate. I'm like, that's, you can't put a gun to your followers' head and force them to buy this. And I even saw a um, a campaign come in a couple of weeks ago that it was a watch company that was asking for a guarantee of X amount of memberships to their program. And if the influencer couldn't guarantee that, they were going to fine them half of their compensation. Wow. They were going to take their money away. And I just, I couldn't, I let this person just have it like on the email because I couldn't hold back. I was like, you don't even, I mean, the cost of production, like what you're paying for is not the conversion rate. You would never go to Facebook and say, Hey, I didn't get X amount of purchases on my website. Give me some of my ad dollars back. Sure. So, I mean, why? I, and But what that tells me is that there are influencers out there that are saying yes to these kinds of deals. And it is so devaluing to the industry and it is so detrimental to what they're trying to grow. And I even told the company, I said, this this type of campaign is what is going to be the demise of so many bloggers and influencers' dreams. So, yeah, because like, you bring up a good point. They don't go to LeBron James and say, LeBron, you got to sell 500,000 sneakers now. I'm sure there's bonuses tied to that. Exactly. But it's like, hey, I'm going to be a great basketball player. I'm going to you know, talk about Nikes whenever I can, but I can't guarantee you, you know, a million kids are going to buy my shoe this year. Right. I don't know. Right. It's, you know, I know that there's that idea of like awareness versus conversion, but if you're coming to an influencer already and pitching that influencer this, you already know, you should know their brand, their feed, their visual concepts, what they put out, their engagement rate, all of that kind of stuff. So to ask them of that, it really shows me how how the disconnect between brands and influencers is still so prevalent and just kind of like the 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 eye roll and disrespectfulness that I don't really think that, that brands do have for influencers. I don't really think that brands respect influencers and bloggers as a business as much as they should. And what are your no, thoughts on that? I bring up a great point. I just sat down, free plug, with the Bella Twins. I don't know if you know them. Yes. They're female wrestlers. Yes. Or they've got two reality shows. But I just sat down with them and interviewed them, and we talked about that because – they're interesting because they have their feet in both worlds. They're in the YouTube world. They're in the reality TV world. They're also Instagram stars. Right. And I asked them because I was thinking the same thing you were is the, the influencer you've never heard of this YouTuber will get 5 million views in a week on a video. Right. But the Kardashians who everybody knows will only get 2 million viewers or yeah, viewers on their TV show. So what's the difference? Right. I don't know. And there's a lot more engagement from this YouTuber you never heard of. So to me, that's more valuable and that's a lot cheaper. Absolutely. But they're not getting the respect that the Kardashians would or the reality TV shows stars are. Not not at all. And I think that the disconnect comes from I think that traditionally the industry as a whole, they can wrap their head around the reality star world because it's it's closer tied into the traditional format of film and TV. So they can wrap their head around that a little bit more. But when you start talking about Instagram or YouTube or, or influencers, it's like they can't really wrap their head around that type of branding. But really, it's still advertising. It's just an innovation of it. So I don't understand why it's so difficult for people to, to understand. Um, and going into a little bit more challenges... Um, I loved what you said, too, uh, when I asked you about what is the number one challenge that 
you faced as an influencer or really just being part of this influencer industry that you've seen. And you talked about cutting through the noise, which we've talked a lot about that on this episode. But what you said specifically, I was like, I can't wait for him to break this down for us. (laughs) Um, You talked about, you know, obviously everyone's trying to get a piece of the pie. And there's a lot of self-serving platforms out there like FameBit. And then there's a million agencies out there that, you know, of course, have their own roster of influencers. And then there's the MCNs, which is a multi-channel network out there for those who have never heard of MCNs. And then you have, of course, just cut the middleman out and that one-on-one connection, which is a lot of the ways that the brands reach out to these bloggers and influencers is just manually through email. So if you could break all of those different things down for us, because I think that there's probably a lot of listeners out there right now that don't even know what a self-serve platform is, what is FameBit, um, and and just kind of how those different, how a FameBit and an agency and a multi-channel network may work differently and how does that all kind of tie into trying to cut through the noise? Okay. So the number one, so basically I break it down like this. So Julie, you want to get in touch. I'm, I'm your guy. I'm your influencer expert. And you say, Hey, for my company, I want to use influencers. And I say, great. These are the ways you do it. Right. First way. And by far the most popular way that you would get in touch with an influencer is manually, right? You're on Instagram. You want to, you know, sneak company and you like this girl who's a fitness trainer, Instagram star. So you like what she's doing. You've got no data or anything to back it up. You just like what she's about. Right. She may have all fake followers. Who knows? But you reach out to her. You say, I want, I want you to sell my sneakers. Cool. You strike a deal. Right. Maybe she has an agent or something, but you go directly. Now, the other way, if you don't know, hey, I want to deal with Sarah over here. If you don't know who you want to deal with, you're like, I want to sell more sneakers. I want to use influencers. It's a cool thing to do. You can use a self-serve platform. And there's a bunch. There's Speaker. There's FameBit. There's a million of them. Like niche, like those kinds of companies, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And there it's almost like a classified situation. So what you're going to do is you're going to say, I want my demos, 18 to 24-year-old women in Los Angeles. So they'll be able to tell you, okay, these are the best influencers you can use. This is the different price points, whatever. So basically you put an ad that says, I'm looking for you know female trainers to sell my sneakers, influencers, whatever. And then they'll reply to that. Right. For them to sign up for the influencer sign up, they've got to have like a minimum of 10,000 followers to prove they're somebody. Right. Right. Maybe they're verified. Different ones have different qualifications. But you put that posting up there. They go on. They go, Okay, cool. I'd like to do that. I like to sell Julie sneakers. I like what she's about. Then you make the connection there. You pick the the self-serve platform is going to take a piece of that transaction. That's how they make money. And that's it. And really, the third way to do it is uh, an influencer agency. And again, I live in LA. There's probably a gazillion. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Right. So it's almost like it's just a talent agency, right? I'm going to have my roster of influencers. So the problem is with that, or the challenge is, again, you've got your sneaker company. I want to use influencers, but I want to use Tom Ward and I want to use Amy Jones. Well, if you go to that influencer agency, maybe they represent Amy Jones, but not Tom Ward. Mm. So now you got to go to two influencer agencies, right? And then the other thing you've got to realize, too, is they've got a vested interest, obviously, in only selling their own roster. Right. Our influencers are the best. Everyone out there is horrible. You don't want that other person. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. So that's really the ways you interact and, and get influencers. 
Is there a way for the influencer, for the blogger to kind of take back their power and control in that situation and cut out the middleman and try to go direct to brands? How, I mean, obviously they can try by manually, by DMing, by emailing, but do you see that from a brand perspective that the brands don't want to deal directly with the influencers more and they want to go to these agencies? Is that what you're kind of seeing more of, which makes it probably more difficult for the influencer to hold their power in that? Yeah, I mean, I, for brands, especially the bigger brands, they don't want to deal directly with the influencers. Because to be honest, I deal with them all the time. A lot of them are pain in the ass, right? <laughs> a lot of them are professional and used to dealing with a McDonald's, say. right? A huge corporation. Yeah, this may be a nineteen-year-old guy in his bedroom, right? Who's never had a real job, right? You know, to get in contract negotiations, that's going to be a tough. That's going to be a challenge. Yeah, right. For the for the corporation, so a lot of times we didn't talk about MCNs before. MCNs are kind of like the agency on steroids, right? right? They're almost like a, a production studio, really. So they sign the big influencers and then they're going to create content, usually branded content, like a Royal Crush. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a yeah. great example. Yeah. It's basically a giant commercial for a cruise line yeah. with good teenagers on it, right. selling cruises to kids, right? Yep. It's, it's on a Royal Caribbean cruise and there's all drama that happens, right? Um, so the MCNs are kind of like that on steroids, right? They deal a lot with brands, a lot bigger deals like that Royal Caribbean deal, right? So brands, especially big brands, love that interaction. Less so with these smaller agency groups, you know, that's they're not that fond with that. So I'd say as the bigger brands want to deal with bigger customers or bigger right. partners. Right. Um, when it comes to long-term partnerships and most importantly, finding the long-term partnerships. Um, how do we overcome? And I think that we've really started to see it this year, just the exhaustion of trying to overcome that challenge of the one, the one and burn deal is what I call it. Like you do one deal and then you never work with the, you know, you're on to the next thing. Um, how can really influencers work better or try to work better with negating that and really trying to build the long-term partnerships and really trying to take their relationship with the brand to that next level? I think they've really got to be smart about it because let's not forget, it's in the brand's best interest to form those long-term partnerships. And I'll give you a perfect example. Remember the Sprint guy? Yes. The guy with the glasses? Yes. Right? You know, he made the switch to Verizon or vice versa. Ver- yes. Yeah. Verizon to Sprint. Yes. Yep. Verizon to Sprint. Like he was the Verizon guy for eight years, and shame on them for not having an exclusivity deal. Right, right. right. Um, Which is so shocking, by the way. How did that get through legal is, yeah. is my question. I'm sure a lawyer got fired for something yeah. like that. Um, but it's in their best interest. I just heard one, two, um, was it Vanessa Hudgens or, or somebody had to deal with like Coach, and then they went to Louis Vuitton, mm. which is totally different markets, mm-hmm. right? And I'm guessing it was one paid them more than the other, right? Right. So I think it's more on the influencers say, hey, look, of course, I want this. I want the stability. I don't have to run around every month and look for new brand deals. But there's really something in it for you, too, mm-hmm. right? You don't want me to go sell a competing product tomorrow. Right. Does that affect your visibility, your brand image, all that kind of stuff. Right. And if there is an exclusivity clause within that, you know, the influencers need to make sure that they're compensated for that. Because if they're going to be exclusive to this brand and really be the face and the voice for this brand, whether it's six weeks or six years, you know, that's cutting them out of so many other potential opportunities. And they need, they need to make sure that they're compensated for that um, with really putting their name and likeness on this one brand. 
Um, what do you say about brands out there who, you know, they're, they're really, at the end of the day, it's, it's, all, it's all about money to them. They're looking after themselves. It's all about their awareness, their conversion. They're not really helping the, the influencer get to that next level. Um, if opportunities like that seem to be consistent, would you say to the influencer, like, don't do those deals? Like start focusing on, you know, how, how do they navigate that? That's like, okay, well, I need to make money, but at the same time, these deals really aren't taking me to that next level. How do you, how do you walk that fine line? You know, it's tricky. It's like the flat tummy tea thing we talked about before. Right. You know, you're, you're stuck in the middle. You want to get to the, the big level, right. right? But you've got to take the teeth whitening deals and the, the gummy bears and all this other stuff, supplements to kind of get you there. So it's tough, but I think when you look back, um, Pareto's principle, right? I don't know if you've heard of that. It's basically the 80-20 rule. You can apply it to anything. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure this applies to your business, right? 80% of your business comes from 20% of your customers. Absolutely. So I think you've got to look at your brand deals if you're an influencer like that, right? Mm -hmm. Where am I getting the growth from? Probably that 20% of your customers, the ones you've got a good relationship with and you're making money from them, you're making money for them probably most importantly, but they want to see you grow too because they know, hey, if you go from five to 10 million followers or you're getting this other press and you're you're on a new show or whatever your niche is, right. it gives them more visibility for their product so everybody wins. And I think it's those win-win partnerships in any business is what you're looking for. Absolutely. I think that those are great points and, and really something that influencers can kind of remember as well when they're trying to make partnerships mutually beneficial. Um, you can also look at the 80-20 rule in terms of like what you're creating. Like I'm going to spend 20% of my time on my content, but then 80% of my time promoting that content and really building up everything that I'm doing with this brand to make it as as big of a win as I possibly can. Because I think a lot of times influencers will just kind of do the deal and then they'll be done and there's no like, well, what are the next steps to get to that it's not over. This is just the beginning. Like, what are your next steps to really start to build that relationship? You can't just always rely on the brand just to keep bringing it back to you on the silver platter. Um, so I think that that that's a really good um, and re- really good reminder and, and takeaway. Um, I want to talk about trends now going over. Um, you talked about when I asked you kind of what trends that you see that are coming or that you, that you think are going to start shaping this marketing space for the better. You talked about data and I love what you said. You said when companies stop just looking at the follower count and really dig into the matrix to determine the right fit for their campaign based on that influencer and that influencer's engagement and follow and, you know, and following and demographics and what have you. Um, I also loved what you said that you think that there needs to be an industry standard, like some kind of reporting system that is an industry standard, which I totally agree with you um, because everybody has their own industry standard. You know, there's no guild protecting us. There's nothing. People just kind of create their own rules and it is what it is. So when you talk about data and when you talk about an industry standard, what would that look like for you? What do you think would be the best system or setup that we could do as an industry to take the data and to take these systems to the next level? Well, I think this is a million dollar idea that we just came up with that one of your listeners, one of your smart listeners can, can, you know, figure can make out, happen, yeah. make a ton of money because basically you're right. So the data now, I think most brands, most people, especially people listening right now, know it's more than just followers or more than just likes, right? There's people get that. There's much more than that, but there's really not a way to, to look at that because everyone, especially the self-serve platforms, 
thing, same bits of the world. They all have their own um, data system and it's all proprietary. You know, Famebit doesn't talk to speaker, doesn't talk to this influence and co or they, they don't talk to each other. So they're not sharing data. And I get why it's, it's their platform. They don't want to share that with anybody. Right. But I think how it'll change is a much smarter and bigger company will see as an opportunity. You see Amazon and Google kind of, kind of dipping their toe in the influencer world. Right. I think it'll take somebody like that to go, okay, you guys played in this world enough. There's a lot of money to be made. You know, the the, the parents are going to take over. Right. Now. The big dogs are going to come in now. Yeah. You guys played for a little bit, but we're done with you. We're going to take over. Right. Uh, we're Mac. Gonna take- we're Apple, and we're yeah. going to come to play. Yeah. You're done right. I would love that. Uh, I think that that would just make the world a lot easier if we did have some type of boundary and system in place. and And people just to talk to each other, like, Tell people what you're what what you get for certain things. It's only going to help the industry if you're getting X amount for the same deal, and there's this other influencer getting thirty percent less than you. It's you're keeping the bar low by not sharing what you know. No one shares anything. Nothing, influencers, right? No one wants to talk about money. I talk to influencers all the time, and I get it. You know, jealousy, and maybe they're not reporting on the taxes and all these other things, but. You don't know if we're both influencers or we're both striking brand deals with the same companies. I have no idea what you're getting and you have no idea what I'm getting. Right. But I think, I don't know if that'll ever change because it's like actors, right? Right. Two actors on the same show, if it's not reported or just in a regular company, you both work for IBM. You don't know Bob across the hallway with the same job. I guarantee Bob's not making the same amount of money you are. Right. Now, is he making more or less and how much? Only HR knows. Exactly. Exactly. Do you think that it's possible for influencers or bloggers out there to educate brands on the importance of data, engagement, analytics over the following count? And if so, how can we start trying to do this? Again, it comes down to numbers and they need some platform to be able to sell that. But I can tell you just for me, I wrote, it's incredible. And I don't think most people, you know, in the car at the gym listening to this understand what engagement looks like. Mm-hmm. And it really is frightening when you see it. Now, for example, I wrote an article about Jake Paul. Mm-hmm. You know Jake Paul? Of course. Yeah. If you have teenage kids, you know. You if you're, know if you're in the influencer space, you know who Jake Paul is. He is the influencer a, that's space. That's a whole other story. I went to his house, the Team 10 house on a Sunday <laughs> night. There's yeah. fans outside. It's, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Court if you walk in. But anyway, so I wrote an I wrote an uh, an article. He's actually a real smart kid, super nice, down to earth, and he's got a real business. I mean, he's got a venture capital fund with five million bucks, and Gary Vanderchuk gave him a million dollars. So this That's is amazing. no dumb kid, he's right? Years old, right? So anyway, I write an article, and the key is I'm like a brand, right? If I write an article about a big influencer, part of my deal is you have got to promote this. So that gets me views. They get press. Everybody's happy. Like I kind of cracked the code. And so anyway, Jake texts me and I, I say, hey, I just posted the article. And he texts me. He said, um, OK, what's your Twitter handle? I'll, um, I'll, I'll post it in five minutes. Right. My phone. I've never seen this before. Twitter gave me an alert that said you have too much activity. I, you should shut your notifications off. And literally that article got 100,000 views in an hour. Wow. Forbes, that's huge. That's an huge. average Forbes article gets a thousand or two. Right. It's more of a trade. Yeah. That. God. Now, he's got a ton of followers, but I've also dealt with other. And he, what he tweeted is awesome article. Thanks, Tom. Read this. <laughs> he just Ooh. had the link. People read it. Right. But I've dealt with 
I wrote uh, an article with another influencer who is just as big follower wise, right? If you just look at that, but she posted the same thing and it got 20,000 views, right? And wow. when I looked, but it got more likes on her Ooh. page. So it got all these likes and I'm like, wow, Jake's got 10,000 likes. She got like 20,000 likes, mm-hmm. but they didn't read the article. The and actual flipped, view. Yeah. They never, yeah, they never went. They just liked her post. They never went and clicked the link. So and the conversion the, wasn't there. Conversion wasn't there. And if you look at the engagement, every comment was not, Hey, so-and-so I love your article. I love what you're doing, whatever. It just said, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Mm. Please answer me. Please answer me. It was just her fan saying, please follow. Right. So she didn't have the engagement that he did. And they were both the same size um, influencer. So I think if you, if you haven't seen it in front of you, if you haven't seen someone go buy this product, read this article and see people go crazy and get the engagement immediately. Like if you have a good influencer campaign, you deal with these bigger people. It's incredible the reach they have. And I think you said so much right there. The one, one big takeaway that, that I got from that was really the importance of building that trust and that loyalty within your fan base, within your following base, because you know, his fans, they wanted to read that because they trust and they have a loyalty to him that if he's saying it's a good read, it's a good read. Whereas the other person, they may just want to see her. It Mm -hmm. doesn't really necessarily mean that she's converting into anything that's tangible or profitable or is going to lead to any sort of of ROI. Um, She's huge. If I'll tell you later who it is, but you you hear her name, you go, oh, wow. She's She's massive. She's bigger than Jake, probably. Yeah. See, it's so interesting. I think the other thing that you also hit on was going back to that, that idea of making it mutually beneficial. There's a lot of times that influencers influencers will say, and depending on kind of how big they are, they can kind of guarantee in the contract that they have to be reposted, that they have to have their content shared on the brand social media platforms, because that's what allows you to build. There's some brands that will say that we can't guarantee that. And I always say, well, then you have to kind of go back to what your end game is. You know, if you're really trying to grow and build your awareness and this brand will not guarantee that they're going to help you grow your awareness, then it may not be the right fit for you. So I think, you know, with you and trying to build your own brand and your awareness with what you're doing with Forbes, that was such a win-win because you you kind of had that guarantee for, from him that he was going to go and he was going to share it. So I think that that's another fantastic takeaway. Um, and that applies, that applies not just to me at Forbes, but that's the way it should work. For, for all influencer marketing. Absolutely. I agree. I give you a little something, whether it's me writing an article, I give you a little press, you give me the views, um, I give you money, you sell my sneakers, everybody's happy. Right. Those kind of things. But yeah, it has to be. Right. And, you know, I have a lot of smaller influencers that listen to this as well that may not even be getting paid for anything yet. And it's just gifted and they're just trying to build. But I even say then, I'm like, look, if a brand is coming to you and they're pitching you to wear their clothes, whether it's gifted or not, and they're not going to guarantee a repost, that's complete bullcrap. Because if, if they've already seen your brand, they've seen your feed, they know what you look like in those kinds of clothes, then they should absolutely repost you because they know what, they're, what content they're going to be receiving from you. That should be a demand. And really, it, shouldn't, it should be more of a command. Like, these influencers should be commanding this from the brands. Um, and, and I think that that's really the only way that, that they're really going to grow, especially now with just the amount of saturation and the algorithm and how, how hard it is to see posts unless you're paying Facebook for it. Um, at least on Instagram. Um, 
So another thing um, that I wanted to touch on with you, I do have a lot of influencers out there that say, okay, I'm small. I'm not on a reality show. Um, you know, I didn't have a video go viral. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I don't get to work with a lot of brands. I'm, you know, I live in Alabama. How do I grow? How do I break into this space? And my whole thing to them is always patience. Like you have yeah. to be patient. It, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a mind and grind. I know that it, it looks like people just wake up and then you do have some of those lightning in the bottle situations that people do a massive following. I don't know how valid it is or not. People, we could go on our, our phones right now and you and I could both buy a hundred thousand followers if we wanted to right this very sure. second. Um, so I would love if you could touch on how important you think patience is in this influencer space for someone who's really trying to mind and grind it and, and, and make it a business. It's tough. I would say you need a day job. That's most important. Yep. You can't just stop, quit your job, you know, get a camera and say, all right, I'm ready, world, here I am, pay me. Right. Most influencers, yeah, there's the one who was on a reality show and now they have, you know, a huge following, whatever. But I'd say 90 plus percent started out in their bedroom talking like we are now. Yeah. And it took years and years and years to get a following, but most importantly, to find their voice. That's the most important thing, mm -hmm. is to find your voice. Because look, I'm, I'm interviewing a makeup vlogger, Marielle Marrero, on Tuesday, and she's Venezuelan, she's got an incredible engagement, and she's got five million followers on um, YouTube right now, mostly in the Latin market, she's Venezuelan. But she started out, she was a biology major in um, college. She's a makeup um, vlogger, but she, she was always into makeup, she did her biology thing, and she's got a, unbelievable personality so you know people really like her but it took her years and years and years to go she i remember she said like her first brand deal at ten thousand followers was like wow this is incredible like i've made it and then to go to 10 to 50 to 100 that took years and years and years and now you just go oh wow she just got back from fiji she's posting these incredible photos on instagram what a great life but you don't see the seven years it took her to get there mm, that's a good that's point I would say to that person in Alabama or Mississippi going, what do I do? Just like me, right? When I read that Dory Clark book and I said, okay, I don't like what I'm doing now. I want to do something else. Well, the world didn't say, hey, Tom, good for you. Here's Here you go. Here. Right. It took me, I wrote about anything that popped in my head. And I would say that's what they could do because it's all YouTube now, right? Mm -hmm. You talk about anything that pops in your head. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I wrote about, I'm a music fan. I write about hip hop. And the next day I'd write about Howard Stern, you know, the show that day or business lessons I learned from Taylor Swift. Right? I just write about anything. And then after I kind of look at the engagement, look at what was popular, what was not popular, ask the audience, what do you like? What don't you like? That's kind of how you hone and build an audience and build a real audience. Mm. You're not buying Instagram followers your follower was with you when you wrote that Taylor Swift article in your basement and now they're reading you on Forbes and they're happy to see that, happy to grow with you. Like, Hey man, it's like a band. Absolutely. Band in a small club. And then you see him in a big stadium. It's kind of a sense of pride saying I was a fan way back when. Right. Right. And it's like a lot of times, cause I'll have influencers be like, okay, I've got to find my authentic voice. Um, okay. How do I do that? It's like, okay, well, you got to test out, right? You got to test a bunch of different things, collect the data. In order to engage, you have to be engaging. Ask your audience what they like from you, what they don't like from you, what they want to see more of, what they're being attracted to. Look at your insights. I know so many influencers who don't ever even look at analytics 
And I'm like, how do you expect to grow when you're not looking at your top performing posts versus your least performing posts? You got to know what your audience wants from you and how you can best serve that up. That's how you find your voice. And then once you kind of niche down on that, then you can serve up more and more of that. And then your community kind of does it for you. Like they kind of just, they, they kind of become your own publicist and it, it kind of starts to snowball. But I think a lot of people get in their own way when it comes to that kind of initial step. And then that's when I see a lot of times that they just kind of give up and they're like, okay, well, I'll just do what she's doing or I'll just do what he's doing or I'll just do what those people are doing. And then the comparison and just kind of like, you know, then, then you're not really in the game at that point. Yeah, and, and we talked about it when we spoke earlier. You're a great example of this, right? You said, hey, Tom, I know exactly who my audience is. Mm-hmm. You know who's listening to this podcast right, right. now. Right. Now, there may be an outlier, but you know it, who that person is, what they look like, how old they are, how many kids they have, kind of what industry they're in, what are their interests, what mm-hmm. do they watch on TV. You know who that is, so it's a lot easier to talk to them when you know who they are. Absolutely. If you don't know who they are, if you're not looking at the analytics, you're just talking to the world. Well, that's not easy. No, no. And sometimes you can't, like, I kind of did that when I first started out. Like, I was just talking to everybody. And then I was like, okay, actually, I'm talking to nobody here. So, but that's how I found my voice. I just, I tested a lot of things out. And I was like, okay, that's not really sticking, that kind of stick. And then when I started to, like, get on a roll, and then I was like, oh, oh, okay, now wait, like, this is really happening. This engagement's growing. My UVMs are growing. Okay, I'm going to do more of this. And so I think that you do. I think that you have to really know who it is that you're talking to. And in order to do that, you got to test out a bunch of different things. Um, and it and may if take... You are, if you don't know who you're talking to and you haven't figured that out yet, think, who do I want to talk to? Mm. That's another way to go about mm, That's a great, that's a I great takeaway. I haven't been doing it like Julie has with her podcast. I don't have the analytics. And Tom, I'm just starting out. Well, think about who do you want to talk to? I want to talk to... 20-year-old college students who are interested in whatever. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. Talk to them, and they'll come yeah. eventually. Yeah, and then, you know, what What do people come for to you for? You know, it's like, do people come to you for makeup tips? No? Well, then maybe you shouldn't be sharing makeup tips. Or do people come to you for recipes? Okay. You know, it just, you kind of have to think about, like, what do people yeah. come to me for already, even if it's just my family? You know, just starting small with that. Um there's something else that I wanted to talk to you about that I think could be really unique. Um, we were talking about um, growing awareness and kind of growing the influencers in terms of techniques or tools that we can use. And you had said um, what you have found that works very, very well is when influencers hook up with each other to pull their followers in. Um, but it has to be really good you know, strategic kind of ways to do that. One thing that I have seen, at least in the fashion blogging, fashion influencer space that I don't think works are the massive loop giveaways because you'll have like 20 accounts from all over the world doing this loop giveaway and you may amass, you know, a thousand or 2000 followers, but then you're going to lose a good 60 to 75% of that once the giveaway is announced. What I hope that we start seeing, what I'm, what I'm going to actually test out myself is starting to see more intentional micro loop giveaways, if you will. Find other people in your field or space that have maybe the relative, like relatively same size following as you and think to yourself, you know what? Me and that person are kind of on the same page here. We don't really talk about the exact same stuff, but you know, I talk about 
PR strategy and online marketing strategy, strategy, and they talk about Instagram strategy. So I bet their followers would probably really like my content, and my followers would probably like their content. They just don't know that we exist. So maybe we should team up, and we may only gain... 200, 400, 500 followers, but there's a pretty good chance that those 500 followers are going to stay there. So I think the conversion rate with some of these more intentional collaborations, if you really strategize it and think it out, you're going to see a conversion rate and really a stick rate far more than these just kind of random loop giveaways and all this random stuff that we're seeing. So I would love to know from you, what have you found? Maybe it's examples um, or that you see that has really worked effectively when it comes to really good influencer to influencer collaborations. You know, I just saw one yesterday and I completely agree. And this isn't something that these big macro influencers, you know, they do it too and it works for them. And I'll give an example of that. But you in Alabama and, you know, the, the same size, influencer who's talking about the same thing in California, maybe you don't have the same audience, but your audiences would be interested in the other person's content. So you could do, forget the giveaways, right? You could just maybe do a YouTube collaboration together. Mm-hmm. Takeover. Yeah, you could do a takeover. You could you could just tweet a link to their podcast or link to their YouTube video or whatever. Like that's easy things you could, easy free things you can do right. to grow their audience. Right? right Now you've got to be about the same size because Obviously, a big fish is going to want to promote a little fish, and, right. you know, um, so it's got to be mutually beneficial. But I think that's a great way to do it. And you look at the uh, you can look at big ones. Shane Dawson, who I interviewed. I don't know if you know Shane Dawson, yeah. who's one of the best interview. If you could ever get him, he's the funniest guy you'll ever sit down with. I'll make sure to put but, that interview up on the website. OK, um, Patrick Starr. I don't know if you know him. He's Love him. Male. OK. He's oh, yeah. He's male. Yeah. His he's, agent was on the podcast. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Patrick's great. great. Great guy. But you see him and um, Shane collaborate all the time. Like I just saw Jeffree Star. Actually, there's a couple names. Star, mm-hmm. right? Jeffree Star is another male makeup vlogger. Did Shane's makeup on YouTube yesterday. It was a funny video. But I'm guessing they share the, a similar audience. But I guarantee all Shane's followers aren't following Jeffrey and all Jeffrey's followers aren't following Shane. Exactly. And they both have massive, about the same size following. Mm-hmm. So why not hook up? Right. They're friends. Why not? What's the risk? Right. And, and, and I agree with you. It doesn't matter if you have a thousand followers or 10 million followers, find someone who is comparable in your size and in your content, you know, two fashion bloggers, thousand followers, you know, kind of same look and feel, you know, similar look and feel and just start being creative. Start thinking of ways that you can really just kind of piggyback off of each other and help each other grow. I mean, that's how I think that we're going to if we're going to beat this algorithm, that's really how we're going to do it, yeah. I think. Um, okay, so I want to talk about strategies that have not worked and what kind of you've seen, you know, if we can kind of overcome them to do it. So um, you talked about creating content that doesn't resonate with your audience, which we talked about a little bit um, before and kind of really knowing who your audience is. Um And you said, for example, I was trying to entail my audience, create a call to action, grow my following, gain customers. Um, Break down, if you can, the differences of those and why it's important to kind of know which direction you're going in order to grow. Um. So the difference between getting engagement or growing followers? Yeah, gaining customers, the call to actions, like how do each of those things kind of work in order to get that flow going? I, I think you just you can't try to do everything. I think that's probably the most important thing, right? You could somebody told me that people will only engage with a post one way. So they're not gonna like and comment. 
right. and re- retweet, right? right? They're going to do one of those three things. Right. So you can't expect you, you post something or you make a video, you can't expect people to, you know, engage with it, share it, um, follow you. You've got to have, you can do one thing, right? You can only do one thing at a time. So right. don't ask your audience to do multiple things. Mm, so that's so smart. That's, is, yep. Without overcomplicating it, just ask them to do one thing. Yeah. And that's kind of growth hacking 101. Like I have a lot of influencers tell me, how do I get my audience to leave the YouTube platform or to leave the Instagram platform and go to my website or go to my Pinterest or go to my podcast? And I always say, you know, you offer, figure out some kind of call to action or some kind of incentive or some kind of perk for them that's going to make them take the time to get off that one platform and go to the next one. But don't make them do 15,000 things to get there. Just make it as simple as you can, one step. And then, and then when they go to that one step, then you can do something else there to have them do, take another step and then another step and then another step. And then they opt into your email and then you have, you know, they're in your newsletter. There's like this growth hacking system that you can take just step by step that can get you to those conversions. But inundating them with so much is going to completely overwhelm your audience and they're not going to be able to to figure it out at all. I just saw this Instagram kid. I don't even know how it came up in my feed. He must've been five years old and he was dancing or something, but he was so good at marketing, right? He said the same thing three times. And it was funny every time he said it, cause he's like a little kid Buy my merch link in bio, bro, link in bio, bro, link in bio, bro. But he That's said amazing. it like three times at different times. And that was one message. I've got merch. The link is in my bio. That's how you'll buy it. That is awesome. It's simple. I love that. Um, okay. Well, before we wrap up, I want to know, looking, looking onward to 2018, what's next for you? And tell us a little bit more about the services that you provide so the people that are listening can really dive deeper into that. So really, um, I'm a writer. That's what I do. That's my day job, right? But I mentioned some of these people I've been, in, you know, been interviewing and, and involved with. And the beauty is I live in LA too. So they all live out here. All these not all influencers, like travel ones will live out but the entertainment influencers, the beauty vloggers, all of them live out here, right? So I've got access to all of them. And I know them. You know, I can pick up the phone and call a Jake Paul or I can text Shane Dawson right now. So I'd like to leverage those kind of relationships, not with those two people specifically, but to really connect with brands and inform long-lasting relationships. Because mm-hmm. the feedback I get from these big ones, you think they just have money rolling in. I get a text from one of them with 10 million plus followers just on Instagram who texted me the other night at like 11 o'clock and said, Tom, I need brand deals. I can't get a good brand deal. What is going on? And that's kind of what I'm looking to do in 2018 and, mm. and beyond is to make those connections, right? Because I, I talk to a lot of brands being with Forbes. I know a lot of these influencers. There's a way to marry them, mm. right? And that's what I'm looking to do is just make connections that benefit both parties. That's it. Plain I love and simple. That. You you know, you can find me on Twitter. We'll give out, you know, I'm sure the contact information will be on there, but yep. that's what I'm looking to do. And just to, to talk to more of these influencers because I love them. I'm passionate about it. They're interesting and they're entrepreneurs. They have hustle. You know, it's easy to look at this makeup vlogger and go, you know, she's beautiful. And all she's doing is, you know, posting these beautiful pictures in exotic locations and her life is so easy. You don't understand the editing alone oh. for a, a 20 second YouTube. It's like a feature film. 
it'll take days and yes. days and days and coming up with the right thumbnail. I mean, you don't understand how much goes into this, right? And they have to have the editing skills. They know lighting. They're experts, right? They're writers. They're all these things. They're entertainers. So that's why I love them so much is because they're not just a pretty face and they're not just a comedian. They're all these things that I don't think your normal entertainer necessarily is. That mm-hmm. sitcom actor has to remember their lines, has to go in, has to make people laugh or whatever their thing is. Right. And they go, people edit it, people film it. Right. They don't lighting. have to film it. Right. Right. No. These people are one-stop shops. It's kind of real punk rock. Yeah. You know, that is punk rock. Their whole thing was DIY. Do it yourself. That's what these these kids and these other influencers, that's what they're about. And that's what I love. And I, I just want to work more with them in, in 18 and beyond. Awesome. And that's what always attracted me. I remember when I was in college and I graduated 10 years ago. So it was kind of right before all of this started happening, but I had a professor tell me I majored in journalism, broadcast journalism. And he said, if you want to get into this business now in 2007, you're going to, you're going to have to know how to do everything. Not only are you going to have to know how to write, but you're going to know how to, how to film, how to edit, how to cut your B roll, how to find, how to find articles, how to find segments. You're going to have to know how to do you and a camera guy because there's no budgets anymore. And so what I think happened is that all of these creatives and these innovators, they had the skill set and the knowledge to do this, and they just started creating it themselves. They said, you know, why go and give it to this network when I can just start a YouTube channel and do it myself? So I always applaud, um, you know, there's a makeup artist named Desi Perkins, who her and her husband are just phenomenal with the content that they create and just, you know, everything that they do from a production standpoint just wows me. Mariana Hewitt is also another one who is just, you know, beautiful and an innovator, but she is such a hustler. And, um, and I think that's what makes people like them so attractive, not only their, their skill set and their creativity, but again, the evidence that they have, which is what we kind of talked about earlier. So um, I thank you so much for coming on here. Um, where can everyone find and follow you online? I want to make sure I'll have it written down, but I want to make sure that sure. we say it on air too. Uh, at MottDraw1, and that's a good um, tip, is you should have the same handle on all platforms. So it's the same on Insta, Facebook, yeah. whatever. It's at MottDraw, M-O-T-D-R-A-W-1, on all the social. And you can just see me at TomWard.com. It has all my links and everything on there. Awesome. Okay. So a last question for you. It's a question that I ask everyone that comes on the show. What does influence mean to you? It's like the cool kid in school or your older cousin. That's your favorite older cousin. That's what influencers are to me is the person who you like, or you always wanted to be like, who's telling you, Hey, this is the coolest t-shirt out there right? This is the vacation you should go on. That's what it is. Love that. Well, if you're listening today and you want to dive deeper into this conversation, you want to check out the show notes, you want to find Tom, you want to stalk him on Twitter like I do, of course, you can check out the show notes of this episode where I lay out some of the most important takeaways at um, at www.theinfluencerpodcast.com. And we will have, of course, this up on iTunes. If you love this episode, if you want to see more of them, hear more of them, make sure to leave us a fantastic rating and review. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And until next time, thank you so much again, Tom. It was wonderful talking to you today. And I can't wait to stalk you more on Twitter. (laughs) Thank you so much. Are you ready to create your own industry-leading influence? For show notes, downloads, and action-based tips, head to www.theinfluencerpodcast.com where you can find out more about this week's episode, guest, and our host, Julie Solomon. 
If you enjoyed this week's episode, please take a minute to go to iTunes and leave a review so we can help other influencers like yourself build their own successful business.